Welcome to the SG Engage podcast, where it's all social good all the time. Sit back and relax as the brightest minds from across the social good community engage with trends, big ideas, and best practices to help you drive impact. Welcome to this episode of the SG Engage show. I'm your host, Steve McLaughlin with BlackBot. As many of you know, uh, many of our loyal listeners, the BlackBot Institute does a tremendous amount of research and analysis of trends and the latest work out of the BlackBot Institute. The state of the social sector is no exception. Joining me on the show to talk about this latest resource for organizations is Ashley Thompson, director of the BlackBot Institute. Welcome back, Ashley. Hi, Steve. Thanks for having me. Okay, let's dive in. Talk to us about the latest state of the social sector report. What's in it? Who's it for? And then we'll just see where this adventure takes us. (laughs) Sure. Well, we are very proud of the latest publications. um, And it's actually a series of reports that we produced this time around. And really, it was created um, with the purpose of helping to provide a little bit of insight and guidance on the current state of affairs that we all find ourselves in. As we all know, 2020 is shaping up to be um, a real mixed bag of all kinds of things that are affecting philanthropy and not just giving, but how organizations are operating within the confines of going into um, lockdown within a quarantine. But not just that, we also have major um, political and social movements this year as well. Um, and, we, and we're and we just now entering the second half of the year uh, where there could be other impacts this year, such as hurricane season. So what we wanted to do was we wanted to build a, an asset that looks at not just what the current events are that are happening. I think we all recognize that, you know, as you watch the news, there is just an onslaught of all kinds of things that are happening today. So we provided some of the most recent data about what is happening in giving today through the first half of the year. Here's what we're seeing so far, and here's what we've seen since since March, um, when really a lot of folks went into lockdown and the fundraising events were canceled. But we wanted to really rewind the tape a little bit and look at What has happened in the past? What happened when we did experience a recession? What happened in philanthropy? What happened when we've had other social movements like Me Too in 2017 or natural disasters that had these major impacts on philanthropy one way or another? And so we produced a series of reports, one which is looking at the sector at large, um, but then we also produced five more reports that look at specific subsectors. So we also do a special report that is looking at arts and cultural organizations, one for um, higher education, one for K-12, one for healthcare organizations, and then also one for faith-based organizations to help address what is happening uniquely for them. Because one thing that has become very clear is that you know, one size does not fit all um, as it relates to 2020 and different organizations are faring and experiencing this slightly different. So we wanted to be able to provide that context. No, that's a great point. You know, I think that the depth and breadth of all of these different resources, the fact that we get into different subsectors because things, there's variability. I mean, it's, it's kind of like saying, hey, what's the weather today? Well, <laughs> Where are you? Because your weather, where you are, 
in Austin may be different than my weather or I'm in Charleston today. So I think, you know, that's always been a hallmark of the the work that you you have done with the Blackboard Institute is getting into these different perspectives, right? That what an arts and culture organization is experiencing may be different than what we would see in higher education or from a food bank or, or a different type of, of institution. So the macro story is important, but as we all know from feedback that we get from people who read and respond and ask questions to all this research is they always want to get deeper, right? They want to go deeper into the story and see what's happening. That's absolutely right. Um, and, and, you know, for this year in particular, um, you know, we do a lot of talking how um, there are some similarities and how organizations should be thinking about shoring up their, their fundraising and looking at um, how they approach their revenue mix. But in the wake of this particular crisis, what has been really apparent out of the gate was that different organizations were dealing with different variables. Um, so arts and cultural organizations, many of them are reliant on earned revenue as people come to the doors and buy tickets. So for them to have to shut down immediately, it was a very different experience than a food bank who was tasked with sometimes a, an onslaught of contributions, but an enormous amount of service delivery that they had to actually deliver on um, where you have, you know, volunteers that were staying at home and not coming out and this sort of increased need um, by some estimates that has gone up, you know, hunger in America going up by about a third by some, by some groups reporting. So I think that it, the, the current state of affairs, depending on where you sit, can be a very different experience. And I think part of what you get into in the different reports is, like you said, hey, let's take a quick look back and then let's look at where we are. But I always find it really interesting because I'm a a data guy, or at least I like data most days, (laughs) that it's not just an opinion of, well, we think it's this, that it's backed up by data and analysis, whether that's data about um, giving trends or that's data from, like you said, the perspective of where are organizations getting their revenue streams, right? How much of it comes from private support versus earned income versus other types of categories. And so having having the data to support that perspective is, is really key. And I think one of the ways we always recommend that people use these, these resources and reports is obviously level up in terms of your understanding and of the information, but also using it as an asset internally when you're meeting with stakeholders, board members, leaders, peers to talk about, well, actually, we have some data about what's happening out there, and and we should use that information to, to help inform decision-making. Absolutely. And one of the things that I, I think um, or I hope that this series helps to do is um, it, I hope that it helps to alleviate some of the anxiety that's out there to your point where data can be really powerful in looking at the, you know, even, even data that's not ours. We, we called on data from giving USA um, quite a bit as well to look at the last 40 years to see what had happened um, in different recessions. And so what you see is that, you know, you will see a dip in in overall giving when there is a significant economic recession. Um, you will see a sometimes a percentage of the GDP um, that is charitable giving that, that goes down. Um, but what you also see, though, is that recovery is strong. Uh, it shows that typically it's a few years 
after the end of a recession where it either stays flat or lags, but then the recovery um, seems to actually have an increased uh, growth thereafter in the years that follow. So for the organizations that can be thinking about that as a way to really get their minds around how do we plan for the next few years? And then how do we know what's coming? How do we build the right fundamental things now in our programs that are going to make sure that we are extremely resilient no matter what's coming our way? Um, Part of what, you know, also I think it highlights is that, you know, there are uh, continue to be some kind of impact year in, year out. Uh, As we started to go into this year, I started to to kind of laugh a little bit because it feels like every year we're talking about how this is such a unique year because we're dealing with a natural disaster, or this is a unique year because of the social movement, or this is a unique year because there's a charitable tax deduction that um, has been removed, right? But if you look back, every year has its own, um, you know, sort of bag, if you will, of of different sort of impacts that are affecting uh, the sector. And it's how organizations actually use the insights that we've learned in the past to make sure that they're investing in and using resources in the right areas now so that they can be sustainable no matter what comes their way and inevitably will come their way in the future. Yeah, that's a good point. You know, when we, we zoom in on the micro, everything looks unique. But when we zoom out on the macro, you find the pattern. Oh, well, this is, we saw something similar during this time period that history tends to repeat itself, whether it's pandemics or geopolitical challenges or economic stress. Like this, you know, we've been around for a while and, and these patterns tend to repeat. And so we look for some of those patterns, even if at a micro level, it looks like, wow, but this things, yeah, yeah, right now things seem crazier. <laughs> <laughs> they've they've been, but you know, uh, we we have some at least historical trends to look to. For That's that. right. Well, and in twenty twenty is really the mixed bag. It's uh, you know, I, I keep joking that it's like if we open the bag and threw every kind of impact in there, twenty twenty has it. It's got it all. Yeah, diversity of <laughs> diversity of of challenges for sure. So let's maybe shift gears in a couple different ways. One. What was something in all of the research analysis that surprised you that was, hmm, that, that's interesting, um, hadn't thought of that, or wow, that, that's something we should dig deeper into or, or kind of surprised you, right? I think the thing that surprised me as I started to get into this is first that just how resilient generosity is. Some of uh, what you look at is, you know, we've been talking since the last recession that there is the number of donor households that have continued to decline year over year. And that's true there. I am concerned as we head into, um, you know, our current economic stress, whether how that will shape up what happens in the next 10 years. But what's interesting, though, is that you see this continuation of generosity kind of through the ages. So even since the last recession, the most generous in America continue to get more and more generous. Um, The top 20% of givers, and that's not necessarily the top 1% of wealth, but the top 20% of givers continue to give at an increasing rate. 
And when you see things like the the presidential election, um, where we have done studies and other groups have done studies on it, the social issues that are at the forefront of the day are the ones that get a lot of attention and traction. So as people give to political campaigns, we found that people gave even more to the charitable organizations that they were already giving to. So it doesn't, there's not a infinite sort of pie in which people give from and will not give more. It's actually that people do respond quite well to the call of the day. And so part of this work was understanding, you know, if we look at, you know, the last 40 years where, you know, giving has gone up about 6% every year, generally for the last 40 years on average, um, even though there was a couple of slowdowns, people continue to give and continue to respond to the crisis at hand. As I was starting to work on these reports, I wanted to go back a little bit further, um, and I know, Steve, you've done some of this work to look at the history of philanthropy, but, you know, our roots in the tradition around philanthropy are actually quite strong. If you, uh, you know, Andrew Carnegie, who, um, you know, wrote the Gospel of Wealth in the late 1800s and sort of started this sort of billionaire's club and this responsibility by the most wealthy to give back in a substantial way has continued on. And I am excited to see that some of the precedent was set then is really being shaped by younger wealthy today and how they are trying to tackle issues that are looking at more of the systemic problems. Um, I know that um, as an example, um, there is a call to arms right now to not only untether more of that financial support, but also really using that philanthropy as a way to really get at some of the pervasive issues like inequity in America, that I think will be important as we go forward. So this evolution and learning that people undergo as they learn how to apply funds, you know, more and more strategically throughout time um, is an encouraging sign to me and is a lot of how, you know, you look at the history of this that continues to make philanthropy a quite resilient sector. So that was, I think, reassuring and helpful in getting a little bit of perspective when you're watching the news and day in and day out, there's these onslaught of uh, really quite negative things that we're watching um, and it can feel somewhat bleak. But tapping into this timeline and this history of what it really means, um, I think is more interconnected to us as Americans than we give it credit for. And so that to me is, is really reassuring. The other thing too, is as I was looking at this year, uh, 2017 was actually a, a, a somewhat similar year in that you had major natural disasters, you had a major social movement um, for the year, there was tax legislation that was passed down. So there's a lot of activity in 2017. And so you saw this spike, this increase in new donors, which is really healthy, whether or not we've been able to retain those donors is another question. But when you look at 2017 as an example of, of what we're looking at today, there's there are lessons that we should take with us in terms of how we think about leveraging this moment and perhaps some momentum that we might get out of 2020, where we have a political campaign and we have a big social movement and we certainly have a pandemic um, to respond to. How do we take the lessons from 2017 and come back to think about what should we be focusing on? How do we retain those donors? What is it that we are doing that can meet donors where they are today? A lot of the people that are here with us today that have caused some of these social movements, you know, kind of spurred on these movements are really the younger 
generation. You look at the Me Too movement or the Black Lives Matter movement that's happening today, and it's made up of a lot of energy from younger donors, younger activists. And my hope is, is that what we're seeing is a, um, is a sort of a, a rebirth of the similar uh, traits that the boomer generation held, where the boomer generation was very civically active and have turned into a really generous generation for us. And so what I'm hoping is that as we follow this younger donor, that we learn how to meet them where they are and to understand their unique preferences and how they want to be engaged and how they want to make transactions and how they feel like they're connected to causes and figure out how do we retain the donors of today, not just the continuing donors of the boomer generation that um, have been sort of the sort of heart of uh, most individual donors for the last 15 years. Yeah, that's a great point. I think you're spot on that what we're seeing is there are changes happening. Some organizations are seeing it more than others, but we're seeing that change and it's showing up in so many sort of positive, measurable, memorable ways that are that are great. And I think that's only a positive for the sector. That's right. I, I would hate to think that we came out of 2020 um, with all of its, you know, valid reasons to cause concern that we only tap into or lean into that side of things. I think that also will present us with a unique opportunity as well. And I hope that organizations recognize that there could also be an opportunity to, um, to engage with those donors and, and retain them for the long haul. So speaking of retention, you know, a topic that comes up when we're all trying to deal with, you know, what, what has changed and, and how do we respond to this change? I think you and I have talked <laughs> in between episodes about this idea of, but there are some things that haven't changed. Yes, there's a lot of change happening. There's a lot in flux, but there's things that are still true today. And in particular, I think one of the things you guys examine in the reports is retention. Yep. Still really super important. Still really something we can do about. What about that and and other things that you're recommending haven't necessarily changed, but maybe the, the importance of renewed focus is never been more important. Yeah. It's so boring. I mean, we talk about retention and we talk about retention and we talk about retention, but unfortunately it's still the same case. Um, it's, it's really kind of all roads continue to lead to this. Uh, I was talking with Roger Craver, who's the, um, the publisher, as you know, the agitator and, and one of our advisory board members recently, um, at the beginning of this. And he said, you know, if, if organizations weren't paying attention to the fundamental things that they should really be honing in on prior to this, if this is not the writing on the wall, I don't know what is. So retention will continue to be important. And when you look at organizations that have fared well through other past events and moments, it really is by and large a lot of the fundamentals that we, we already know, um, but perhaps have not dedicated enough time, energy, or resources towards. So when you consider that it really was um, the the most generous donors that continue to stay committed to organizations, and when you look at their lifetime value, continue to go up, they gave 40% more after the last recession, retaining those donors is kind of the most fundamental top priority. You have to be able to just start there. And unless you really are thinking about thoughtful 
and proactive engagement of those supporters, then you're behind the curve. The, the other thing, um, though, is that there are some, some other interesting things. Um, in talking with um, the, the heads of the, our donor-centric benchmarking group um, at BlackBaud, some of, the, some of the organizations that shared going out of the last recession that they actually did not stop with some of their acquisition, acquisition efforts fared better coming out of the last recession. And I think it's this, it is this concept of you've got to stop the leaky bucket, but you still have to make sure that the bucket is full as well. So the organizations that have continued to reach out um, and not just sort of, you know, only focus on retention um, is, is maybe the other side of the story is it's not just one side. It's also about continuing to think about how do you reach and engage new supporters? Um, and I, as I've said, I hope that that's what 2020 begins to present itself with. You know, the other thing too, is that in a lot of what we are plagued with um, in this sector is, um, you know, we have passionate mission-driven organizations where we have, you know, just time and resource strapped individuals that are working and doing everything they can to um, sort of meet the mission. And part of the byproduct of that can be silos. There can be um, silos within an organization that is not necessarily enabling this cohesive experience for those constituents that we want to retain or that we want to engage. And so part of what um, I, I I think sometimes when we have these uh, these moments in history, right, um, necessity breeds innovation. When we have these moments in history, it sometimes forces us, um, even if painful or not, to see the things that maybe we've been ignoring that were really at the heart or at the root sort of cause of what was creating some of our, our roadblocks to increasing retention or bringing in the next you know, generation of supporters for our organization. And so I think the, the other piece of this is that it's not just about saying that we have to increase retention or that we have to really diversify our funding mix. It's also looking at our own internal structures and making sure that we are as agile as possible in order to be able to to achieve those goals. Because if we continue to have certain roadblocks, we'll never get there. And so I hope that this slowdown for some is also an opportunity to be really reflective about, you know, what are the structures that we we have in place that do not and will not serve us um, in the long run? Yeah, I really like that. I think, you know, we, we see this all the time. There are some organizations where they live in a data desert, meaning they don't really have a lot of data that helps them inform the decision making. And then there's other organizations who live in a data oasis of which they have so much data that it can cause analysis paralysis. And I often see organizations struggle with this or the desire to say, well, we just need a little bit more data. And, and recently I found myself when talking with organizations just to say, pretend you had that information. Pretend you had information about the right group of, organ- of, of potential uh, prospects or people you're engaged with to bring in as donors. Pretend you had the data about driving more of a recurring giving program. What are you going to do? Because the data and the information is fine, but you got to get to the action. And I find oftentimes that that's, that can be a challenge. And so lately I've been just coaching a lot of organizations of pretend you have the information, pretend it tells you X or Y or Z. What are you going to do? What would you do tomorrow if you knew that this was the likely result? Uh, well, we would do this and we would do that. And I'd say, 
what's stopping you, right? Because the faster you move, to your point about agility, the faster you move, the more forgiving if you make a mistake. If you spend six hours doing something and you make a mistake, the drawbacks or the cons are relatively limited. If you spend six months doing something and you make a mistake, (laughs) a lot more repercussions. And so, you know, I think that is definitely a challenge, but we're in an environment where, again, the usual playbook is still true. Engage with your constituents, identify opportunities for them to um, participate with your organization, to give to your organizations, to be more engaged with your organization, you know, thank them, steward them, do all those things, retain them. Like there's the playbook is still the playbook for so many organizations today. That's right. And I, I think, you know, I'll, I think you make a good point about, um, you know, making sure that you can get to the action. If this current climate has not taught us anything else, uh, we almost can't sit stagnant anymore in, in the idea that we can respond in real time is now more important than it's ever been. I think that this has removed all of those barriers. And you know, my experience in nonprofit prior to this is that we tend as a sector to be quite careful um, in making sure that we're getting everything right before we say or do anything. And that's not necessarily how social problems get solved. Sometimes it's a little bit messy. But the most important piece of it is that there is action and there's action behind it. And how do you make data, to your point, actionable? What can we act on today versus what are we going to be working towards to build that will be a clean version of this in the future? That's a great point to end on. Ashley, what's the best way for listeners to get access to the state of the social sector. Well, you reports. can come to the blackbodinstitute.com um, where you can find the sector series in our resource library, or you can also go to blackbodinstitute.com forward slash state of the social sector series. Um, in there, you'll find all six reports, but I would invite you to also not just look at the reports. We also have another, a whole wealth of information at that site. We have our blackbod index, which looks at about $30 billion in giving in in really sort of real time, quarter by quarter, we're constantly updating, as well as um, the Explorer, which is our uh, a hub of resources that are cataloged by topic. So it's a great place to start if you're looking for a particular topic. Great. Ashley, thanks for joining us on the show once again. And uh, I know so we'll have you back again in the future. That's it for this episode of the SG Engage podcast. This episode is brought to you by the letter S. Thanks for listening.